listening to Loving the Snow Life with Emma and Tennille. Tennille, our mum, and Emma, her awesome friend, share deep passion for the snow. They started the podcast together to share all their experiences with you. Between them, they have skied over 95 resorts, both held ski instructor qualifications, lived and worked in resorts, and still spent every hard-earned dollar skiing. They set their lives up around snow travel, and our ski bags are always packed, ready to go. We're certainly not complaining about this, are we? No way. And even better, we get to share all the experiences. Steve Carr is the editor of Snowy Magazine in Jindabyne and chats with us about Jindabyne, the Aussie ski industry and the Aussie snow season. Hey, Steve, how are you? I'm good, and yourself? Yeah, great, thanks. Hey, so, Steve, we've got you here from, you are the editor of Snowy Magazine down at the Perishar, down at Jindabyne, really. So you're the eye on the ground down there for everyone that's uh, involved in the ski industry, I would say. I pick up your magazine every time I'm down there. Um, when did you start it and why did you start it? <laughs> Loaded question. Yeah. Look, the, the Snowy Mountains magazine's been going for six years now. Um, we regard ourselves uh, as the number one free tourist publication. You can find it in you know, numerous places around the mountains. Uh, I was working on a previous publication, the Snowy Times, and they had a they had a different uh, outlook of where they thought the future was, which I didn't think was going to work. So I left that publication, started up my own, and yeah, look, it's been going great ever since. We we like to think we've got great information in there for you know most of the tourists. Um, we cover off on a lot of things to to help people on their travels with ideas across all seasons, summer and winter. Yeah, yeah. So, so do you publish every month? And it's how many people are on your team to help you out? Uh, let's talk about the team. I'm the only person on the front side. I uh, I look after most of the ad sales, uh, talk to all the, the advertisers, uh, write most of the stories, not all of them. We have some contributors. Yeah. Um, I lay out the magazine and, and do all the all the, the front end and we have a, a graphics design team and people look after the accounts, the important things like that. Um, winter time, we're monthly. We come out um, in May as our first one, which runs into June. Then we do July, August, spring, uh, two summer editions and one autumn edition. Plus, uh, yeah, you can al- always find those editions online at uh, on our website, snowymagazine.com.au. I just went on just before we're doing this and looked at your digital version. I love it. Like, because I haven't been, I haven't been down there this season because I couldn't get accommodation just quietly at the start. But anyway, it's all good. But I went online and I went, oh, I now can get that in my own home in Sydney. That's exciting. So I can educate myself before I get there now. Yeah, look, the, the, the digital edition works really good for the people who can't find a printed magazine. Um, we do go into Sydney, a lot of the main ski shops in Sydney. We yeah. have about 35 locations, um, 50 into Canberra. Um, but not everyone um, finds the printed magazine. So you can subscribe to our newsletters and we'll let you know when the latest one's out. Um, but also on the website too, for the people who are travelling, um, and, and we'll talk about that, you know, how to get information, we have a lot of good information there. If you just want to spend 15 or 20 minutes browsing around, you'll find some stories and some other generic information, a um, little bit on exploring in summer and winter. Um, yeah, and the website always always needs more to put on there. We'll, we've got plenty of stuff there ready to go early in the summer as well. Um, yeah. We're, we're busy in the winter with only me on the front end, so... Uh, the summertime, we you know we definitely add a lot more to the to the website, but the digital edition is great for those people who can't find it. 
I like your format, how it's a glossy cover and it's sort of a magazine you can roll up and put under your arm because I find wherever we're staying, one of my favourite things is to go and sit in the sauna with the magazine and I, and I don't mind if it gets all steamy and drippy because I haven't paid for it, you know, and um, I'm always in it like dog-earing the um, pages because I'll find new things in there all the time. I'll go, oh, helihop, okay, cool. Oh, okay, wings down at the bolo. Oh, okay. I just like to be up to date on what's going on this season sort of thing. Even if I think I know Jindabyne, there's always something new. Yeah, and look, we all know Jindabyne, you know, if you're skiing in New South Wales, you, whether you're skiing at Perisher or or Threadbow, you know, Jindabyne's the main uh, subalpine town, if that's the way to describe it, you know, and uh, a lot of people stay here. It's a better price point on their accommodation. And, um, yeah, look, we have a good dining guide in uh, every edition. So if you're staying there for the week, you can have a browse around. Um, yeah, I, I personally haven't read it in the sauna myself, but that's okay. Neither <laughs> have I. I might try it this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's quite, and it's also a magazine that's quite handy if you're, if you come in early and you're cold or you're waiting for people as well, you know, yeah. I always like tuck it in my um, backpack. And then if I'm waiting for someone or if my daughter's cold or something, then uh, I'm not going to bring a book. <laughs> yeah. And look, you know what, we, we know where the busy spots are and you, you're probably, you know, for the the regular um, visitors, they know where to pick it up. And we deliver to, you know, most of the main hotels, motels, lodges. Um, but look, it is, it's really convenient for people. And, um, look, if you come to the mountains, uh, and you're on a snow holiday, you want to find out a little bit about the snow. And, you know, this year we've got some stories in there on the 70th anniversary of Perisher from when the first lift started, you know, and some of that, again, if you, if you're interested in any particular thing, read a few of the back issues because, uh, you know, we can't keep repeating the same content all the time. And, but, you know, like you might find if you're a regular reader that some of the same things pop up all the time and that's because every weekend and, and every midweek there's a different group of people who haven't seen it before and they'll yeah. pick it up. And so, yeah, we just like to, you know, keep out the general information out there for them. Mm. And what do, you, what do you find? I mean, I guess as people are coming down to the snow, they, it's getting more and more busy um, at the snow, so as a lot of a lot of the issues, the plant like Jindabyne has just released a master plant, which is exciting. So, do you have to report on that quite a lot to keep the locals? How much local content do you have versus tourist content to keep everyone happy? Oh, look, we probably have. Uh, if you wanted to put a, a percentage on it, you know, maybe it's an 80, 80 to 80 percent, twenty percent. But for things like say that master plan, you know, three hundred ninety-one million dollars. Will yeah. be spent, um, and most of that money will be spent probably over the next five to ten years from the state government. You know, so that's obviously the local people are really interested in that, yeah. and it's still developing a little bit. Like they have released the master plan, um, and you can find some of those details in our editions as well. Or you know, if you just Google it, you can find the you know the link to the state government master plan for people who want to have a read of it. Two hundred and sixty odd pages. Um, that was after the 3,000 pages of the draft master plan and documentation that uh, was presented a year ago. Um, I'll take what I read in your magazine and that's <laughs> <after> me. <laughs> it's, it's a lot easier. And trust me, I'm still trying to decipher some of it myself. And I I really touch on some of the main things that really uh, the Jindabyne people are talking about. Um, you know, like it is busy down here. If you look at the town of Jindabyne and even the resorts, you know, it's got way busier than what it was 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. Mm. And a lot of the infrastructure hasn't really been upgraded to meet demand. So, you know, $391 million will go a long way to fixing 
um, some of the issues of town planning and Jindabyne. Um, you know, there's some new subdivisions that will that will uh, grow over the next 10 to 20 years as well, um, adding more accommodation. But, you know, just the flow of town, um, I can't always get my favourite parking spot in Nuggets Crossing in winter, which I'm sometimes disappointed about. But, you know, uh, but look, we're in the tourist business. We want tourists to come here. And, and as much as not uh, everyone in Jindabyne, you know, is always happy that it's super busy, um, yeah. if you want to live in an area like that, you're going to, have to expect that it's going to be ups and downs. Um, yes, the weekends are super busy. Midweeks not too bad. Yeah. What um what else can you touch on about the infrastructure going forward? You sort of you know alluded to a little bit, but what about um you know is it like how far sort of geographically is the town going to expand? And also, what about the lower socioeconomic kind of accommodation? Yeah. Say? Look. Yeah, look, uh, first off on where it's called the Snowy Mountain Special Activation Precinct. Uh, we've abbreviated that well to a SAP or a SAP. Um, there was five of them across New South Wales. Uh, the other towns were Wagga, Wagga, Moree, Williamtown, and I think Parks. Um, they were more sort of industrial commercial. Uh, we're a little bit of a different SAP where we are um, really it's about tourism and in- infrastructure, but it really is only just around Jindabyne, the town itself. So from East Jindabyne up into Perisher and Threadbow um, and not even as far out really as the station resort. So, you know, that's where it sort of stops. It's not um, anything besides that. Um, the infrastructure spend, I suppose, will go to things like, you know, upgrading water treatment works, sewage. Yeah. Um, there's some some town planning designs in the master plan already that, you know, the, the town centre, uh, we're just getting a new library, actually, that's um, just going to be open in the next couple of uh, weeks down there in the town centre. Um, awesome. They're going to get a new, you know, a new town square. The school's moving from in town, uh, you know, next virtually next to Nuggets Crossing, out to the Sport and Recreation Centre. Wow. So that, I didn't so, know that. That's, so that's like a lot of land. That's Jindabyne Central School, which is uh, primary and high school. Yep. And, and also the Snowy Mountains Grammar school have just uh started on like first and second stage of their master plan where they're getting some new buildings and also a nice new oval and uh some netball and basketball courts so yeah they're spending a bit of money there but the jindabyne central school that's a key piece of land right in the middle of town Uh, they haven't told us exactly what will happen with that but really um you know there needs to be some Let's just say it'd be nice if we could just put at least a full level of underground parking there before we put anything on top of it. You know, yeah. park, parking's an issue. But, you know, um, we're waiting a little bit more on the what they call the delivery plan. But um, they've addressed uh, quite a few things in, in the SAP. One thing they haven't really addressed, though, is that uh, we'll call it the, you know, staff housing. Yes, um, yeah, win, 100%. Win, and, and, you know, like se- seasonal staff and also... Yeah. You know, the, a lot of the properties that have been sold lately over, let's say, the last two years where the the prices have, you know, skyrocketed. Um, yeah. We could talk about that later. That's another whole story in itself. But I wish I had invested 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, look, it would have been good. You know, like properties that were, you know, uh, three-bedroom houses that might look basic on the outside that were, you know, renovated on the inside. You know, two or three years ago, you're probably seven hundred, maybe $800,000. Now they're going for one point. 5 1.8 1.9 you know so it's just a price on demand but but what a lot what a lot of the the people are doing when they buy those homes is 
they are not putting them back into, um, you know, some people would obviously stay in them, but uh, there's a lot of them that are going into the short-term rental market. And yeah. we often we often refer to, refer to that as the Airbnb market, but um, which is a shame because the town needs more 12-month rentals for, you know, year-round residents. And it needs a lot of uh, a lot more, you know, even smaller units, two bedroom units or whatever for for mm-hmm. staff rental. And that's not just staff for the resorts. You know, obviously Threadbow and Parish are they're the main employers, uh, you know, in, in the snow industry here. But yeah. if you look at all the restaurants you you stop in at or the coffee shops, and they each have one or two seasonal staff, or maybe a restaurant wants to bring a chef down from Sydney. There's nowhere for them to stay. So. Yeah. Um, and and the state government didn't really address that in the SAP, mm. uh, in the master plan, which is a little bit of, a little bit disappointing. Yeah. But they have said they're looking at it statewide, uh, and and look, yeah, you have to look don't have to look anywhere other than tourist towns to find that's the yeah you know, where it's a problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's happening everywhere in all tourist towns, really, isn't it? I mean, overseas as well. But was the station resort originally just staff? No, no, no. That, that's no, no. I... That's always been an accommodation place. When okay, when yeah, Blue okay. Cow was Blue Cow by itself, that was their accommodation base, really. Okay, um, yeah. So okay. you would you would buy the package where you'd stay out at the, you know, one of the they're really like a motel style room or a yeah, a, a, yeah, like a reasonably basic uh, self contained apartment. Like all you're in there for is just sleeping at night, so you're on yeah. the mountain all day. Um, so that's what that uh, complex was. They've Perisher have actually probably used a few of those uh, yurts and other uh, smaller units for some um, staff um, over recent times. Okay. But there's still a lot of accommodation out there, you know, and um, really yeah. good price, really good price point for someone who wants to get in the market, um, learn a little bit, little bit, little bit about the snow and skiing, stay out at the station resort, package it up with your lift tickets. That's probably the best value um, in in uh, Jindabyne as well. So. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Well, you know, if you're in there early enough, you can get great, great cracking deals to go to Australian ski resorts. It's just not a last minute destination, I don't think. <laughs> no, not at all. And but like that comes up all the time in conversation. You see it on social media. Can I get a, you know, can I get a room now? Um, you know, for this will be people asking on a Thursday or Friday night. I can go. Can I get a room for Saturday? Well, I, I'm sure if you go to the Gold Coast, that's not always the case either. You just ring up the day before. Mm-hmm. You know, so. If, if you don't if you don't plan to go anywhere at the moment, you're not going to get a bed, you know. So, so um, true. And, and look, a lot of the accommodation was really full well before the winter. And I'm not going to say it was all of it, but a majority of it was rollover credits yeah. in a lot of the hotels and motels from last year yeah. where, you know, Sydney was locked out of the market, out of the snow market uh, from late June last year where um, due to the COVID restrictions, so they couldn't come. And a lot of those people just rolled the credits over. So, you know, if you were trying to book this year and you hadn't had a previous booking, you were behind the eight ball to start. And, you know, um, and if you're not sure of the lay of the land and you haven't been here, um, you know, before, then you would find that hard to be able to, you know, uh, w- work your way through the through the traffic yeah. and find out what's available. It is quite an extraordinary season on all accounts. Everyone wants to travel. Everyone got rolled over. The snow has been quite amazing as well. It came early, which gets everyone excited, you know, in Sydney, Melbourne, down on the down on the coast, anywhere really, Queenslanders, you know. Mm. So it's it, it, luckily there's been snow there this year for the, all these people that are there 100 capacity, you know. <laughs> and look, if if you look at the snowfall, that was that's a dream start. It was, you know, we had something in our first uh, in our July edition it was the best start since 1968. Oh, um, 
but it, but if you're a if you're a, in the marketing department and you're trying to to tell people what what's your perfect scenario, uh, it's this year. You know, half a meter to a meter of snow, half a meter of snow maybe by you know the start of June, followed up with another meter in early June, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you you're opening the resorts virtually having you know ninety percent, eighty to ninety percent of your terrain open in the first few weeks. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's really encouraging for the people. Like I've got friends coming down, you know, uh, this weekend from Sydney and they're staying up at Perisher, you know, so they would have been watching that snow all the way through, even though we had a bit of rain last week, um, you know, just a casual 150 mil. Um, but, you know, 15 <laughs> centimetres of snow, I was up at Perisher today and you look around, the snow cover's still great. You know, any, anything over a metre, metre of 10 is actually not that bad, you know. Um, sure, we'd like to have a metre and a half or two metres, but if you look at the snow depths, anything over a metre is always okay. Yeah, but re- I mean, and what about the infrastructure, like the good things? I mean, how much snowmaking has happened now? And even up at Charlotte's, like I grew up skiing at Charlotte's with an instructor up there forever, their snowmaking up there is incredible now, you know, and then Parrish's snowmaking is all different areas now. So, I mean, they must cry when the rain comes, when 150 mil comes because they're crying money down the drain. But <laughs> but still, it's we're lucky. We've got, this, we've got our resorts open by the third week. Yeah, and look, it's it, yeah, you know, like the, all the resorts spend. Yeah, you know, they've all spent tens of millions of dollars on um, on, on snowmaking. Yeah, Threadbow are still in the, in the process of upgrading some more. They've yeah. been doing work the last few summers, uh, really just increasing their. I think it's their their airflow and and their pipe sizes so that they can pump out a, a lot more. Um, Stuart Stuart Diver, their general manager, said at a I think it was a community meeting earlier in the season that. You know, uh, they understand, and, and all resorts understand the weather patterns. You can't make snow every day because it's not cold enough. So when you do have those windows of a week where it's, you know, minus five and perfect conditions, you know, if you can pump out three times as much snow as what you used to in the previous year, you know, um, that'll help you for those years when, oh, sorry, for those weeks when, uh, you know, it's a little bit on the lean side and um, the temperatures are three degrees. And, and and look, we're always going to have you know a few rain events. That's just the way storms come through. We've all seen that over yeah. the decades that we've worked here. But yeah, the 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 paying public they turn up and they just see snow. Sure, they have a little understanding of snowmaking, but you could tell them the resorts uh, in, invested forty million dollars, and they're like, oh yeah, that's fine. When are we getting a new chairlift? So, yeah. Yeah. so there is a new um, chairlift going in at the end of this season, isn't it? Season at the end of twenty twenty two. The to replace the triple? No, look, that it's it's been approved through the Department of Planning and, and obviously National Parks side. Um, we're waiting now on Vale Resorts to allocate the funds to that. You know, it's probably a, uh, look, I think from accounts, it's going to be a 25 to $30 million uh, six-seater chairlift that will mm-hmm. run straight up where the triple chair is going now. Um, mm-hmm. And it will go another few metres higher than where the double chair is and by all accounts be the highest lifted point in Australia. Um, but there's no guarantee that that chair will go in this summer, uh, mm-hmm. probably not this summer actually because Vale Resorts make their uh, infrastructure announcements and spending, I think it's in October or November, so mm-hmm. for the next 12 months. And if you've followed any of Vale Resorts' announcements over the last year, I think, you know, last year they they allocated, you know, two or $300 million for you know, a bunch of new chairlifts and whatever at, uh, you know, half a dozen of their North American resorts. So Yeah. So. I've heard there's also a bit of pushback because of COVID from all the um, factories being a bit shut down 
kind of and they haven't been able to make all the equipment so there's a bit of a stall back in in Canada on some resort on some resorts on their chairlifts arriving so yeah okay they, yeah you know but that, that, that could be the case the, the way the way it normally works with chairlifts in Australia is you do have to put your order in you know 18 months in advance yeah okay so um and, and look you know the people up at Perisher they don't uh, they hold their cards close to their chest as as you would in any business of that size, and um, they don't tell you everything. But you know, maybe that chairlift has been placed on order. Who knows? But uh, there's no, no no one knows at the moment. But um, it's coming for it, it'll be a Doppelmayr chair by all accounts, one of the the yeah. big um, chairlift companies. And Doppelmayr Australia have a um, you know have they have a big presence here in Jindabyne. They've been here for long for you know, decades. Yeah. So can you share with us a little bit about what's happening up in the sort of, you know, with the car park and the parking and the kind of like national park decision-making area? Yeah, look, it's uh, we all know if you've been down this year or in previous years, the traffic on the weekends, let's just say, can be extremely busy. Uh, this year uh, is probably uh, one, one of the worst years for traffic, mainly on a Saturday not always on a Sunday, but if you're not in the Perisher car park or on the road out of Jindabyne by 7.30, quarter to 8, you are probably going to miss the boat there. You know, um, the, the the car park has been closing. I think last Saturday closed at 9 o'clock. So, uh, Sorry, may- I've only been reading all the forum and all the negativity and everything. Can I get it? But what, what happens when you get turned around? Do you get a refund on your Perisher Threadbow ticket? Uh, no, what they do is they they turn you around at Jindabyne and say that there's no parking at Perisher and you know and hey. between Perisher and Smiggins they park all the way down to Prussian Creek and up to Dana's Gap if, wow. if you know the roads. So wow. um, and and, yeah. and and Perisher have a bus running, um, yeah, like a big bus running up and down the roads, just picking people up, taking them up, okay. you know, to the resort. If you mm-hmm. get turned around, you you're advised to go to the ski tube, and oh, of course. And the ski tube virtually yep. the ski tube car park virtually never runs out of car parking spaces, although mm-hmm. it did um, a couple of weekends ago, uh, mm-hmm. and and that was the same day that Threadbow car parking was always uh, at full capacity as well. So mm-hmm. so what what you're saying there is, you know, that all of a sudden you've got a lot of your seasons pass holders, a lot of your weekend visitors, plus snow play people all turning up on the same time, mm-hmm. and look, it is what it is. Uh, they're trying to rectify it. Yep, they yep. do have a a plan in the in the master plan, the SAP master plan, and it won't happen next year. I'm led to believe, but possibly the year after. If you're familiar with the drive from Smiggins up to Perisher, as soon as you come up over the hill on your right hand side, there used to be an old lodge there many years ago called the Perisher View Lodge. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and that's a bit of disturbed land, as they like to say in national park speak. So there's going to be a car park in there. Um, and with a slightly redesigned, uh, looks like a widening of the road from the the existing car park down to that one, mm. and that will well, that makes sense. <laughs> that'll create another seven hundred parking spaces. Great, and it, oh. and it will also be, and its future there, that car park's future will also be a a turning loop for for um, the bus that will come from Jindabyne. Um, we've had a trial trial run again this year with yeah. friday saturday and sunday with the with the they call it the park and ride bus yeah. and and that's another way to get up to the resorts if if the roads close at 10 or 11 o'clock and you can't get up there you can just go and park your car go and jump on the bus it's ten dollars each way which i actually think is quite affordable yeah. um, 
you know, unless you're with a group of 20. But, um, you know, but if it's just mum and dad and a few kids and you know you can you can go up there with no hassles, um, get dropped off right at the front door, yeah. and then, you know, you jump on the 3 o'clock bus coming back and there's – and uh, that, that's been – let's just say a lot of people have been using it. It's still yeah. still trying to get the word out with that. But, um, but yeah, where, where the new car park will be at Perisher, that will be also where there'll be a dedicated snow play area. So they they – who knows exactly what that will look like, but if you if you're getting a bus up from Jindabyne and you get dropped off right there and you've got your toboggan, uh, it's happy days for the family. Yeah, so, think, and Selwyn opening will change all this. I think. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Emma. No, Selwyn opening will be great. Um, but also, I find when you take your um, car up anyway, by the time you kind of fill up and then you go up and back and up and back and up and back and then you're heading back to the city or Canberra. You know, there's ten dollars ahead is really great, and it means in the afternoon you can have a drink after lunch or whatever you want. You know, so yeah. a, couple, a couple of beers at the Man from Snowy River Hotel before you come back down. It sounds like a great idea, you know, if you catch on the bus. Yeah, so, yeah it does. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. half the reason why we pay top dollar to stay up on the hill. <laughs> and look, uh, it, it was a shame. Uh, it was a shame that Selwyn didn't open this year. They had a few uh, issues yeah. with, with the big snow, um, and they weren't quite finished. Um, yeah, if you look at some of the crowd who are coming to Jindabyne and, you know, going through to Threadbow and Perisher, there's definitely a portion of that crowd that would have went to, to Selwyn. Yeah. And, and and I'm led to believe, uh, you know, if they're coming through Cooma and they're stopping getting a toboggan and there's some higher clothes and, you know, buying some accessories like gloves and hats and that, you know, there's a lot of the businesses in, in Cooma give them, you know, the good advice. So look, if you're just going for snow play and tobogganing, Selwyn is a really good place. They've got a, a dedicated toboggan slope with a with a magic carpet, so you can slide down the slope and then just jump on the magic carpet and and get you know you ride back up the top of the hill. Whereas at Perisher, yeah, you know, you've got to walk back up that hill, so that ties mum and dad out. They've got to pull little Johnny up there all day long. <laughs> well, well, I think that's the whole, done that. Yeah, the the issue of snow play. If people are coming from areas where they've never seen the snow, that's going to be really great to yeah hit the cell when because otherwise you've got everybody on your on your tail hurrying you up you know trying to push you along in the morning up the hill and it and it's really dangerous on that on that road going up so yeah to get the snow play people up off the hill will be great but yeah, then look at, well you know and, and look it just it just diversifies where the crowd is as well you know it's um mm-hmm. if you have everyone going to the one place of course it's going to be busy and and you know that's that snow play crowd, and you know it's a lot of uh, Indian and Southeast Asian people. That's the the majority of that snow play crowd. Not all of them, but you know they're they're having a great time. They've got their toboggans. The kids have got a smile on their face. You know we'd like them to you know stay around the industry a little bit longer. You know after you had your snow play, do you then want to try skiing? And then you know Selwyn's that Selwyn's that perfect beginner resort with gentle terrain, and then. You know, you've done that for three or four years and then you want to go to a bigger mountain. That's yeah. that's what's really good for our industry there. It's so true. It's people loving the mountains. And honestly, that's what I love about, you know, you come over that gingerbine rise. I've said it a million times, but it's like, and then you see the lake and you're like, oh, I love it. I'm just home. It's just beautiful. I want to ask you about your um, your gear and your gear advertising in, in your magazine. Um, I went down two weeks ago and did a backcountry day and I had really old gear because I just wanted to kind of test. I'd done it before only like for a day or whatever, but I wanted to 
do more of it and didn't want to sink a bunch of money because I really want to see if I liked it more. And then, of course, I liked it and, and I start fantasising about gear. And um, depending on what kind of shopper people are, I am not the kind of person to walk into a shop and just buy the gear straight away. I want to research. Part of that research is I'm going to look in your magazine. What gear, what, what ski shops do you have there and what gear they have? So I really, um, I, I I've got a, a confession to make. I haven't looked in your magazine the last couple of weeks but heading down this weekend, I will grab that magazine and I will see who's advertising this gear. And I hope you have a smattering from Sydney, Canberra. I mean, I'll shop around everywhere. I hope you've got Kuma. I'm really going to find the right gear. Yeah, look, the, the gear is always a really interesting subject. And, you know, we, we have an article in this edition at the moment, actually. It's, um, it's not for backcountry skiing. It's for just alpine skiing in general. Um, but how to choose the right ski. And let's just let's just say one thing. There's no bad skis on the market. Yeah. So, some are more suited to some people and some to other people. You know, for, for years I used to photograph uh, all the ski testers in various magazines. Uh, ski Extra magazine uh, used to do ski testing for years and I'd come along and photograph their testers while they did the reviews. And, yeah. you know, my friend Rod might say, hey, Steve, this is a great ski. I'd jump on that ski and I wouldn't like it. You know, mm-hmm. so he's 20 kilos heavier. He skis a bit faster. Um, he's got slightly better technique than me. So, you know, but a ski that I like, I could say to my friend, hey, this is a great ski. They might not like that. So really the key point is do a little bit of research, talk to your shop. Um, it's probably better to do that down here in the mountains. You know, you can go to uh, Harrow's at Lake, uh, Lake Krakenback Resort. Uh, Alpine Sports in Nuggets Crossing, they're two, uh, you know, easily accessible resort, uh, sorry, uh, retail shops. Um, and they will give you good advice and then you can go and try that ski. And then if you come back that day and you said, look, I think that's okay, do you have another one to try? Mm-hmm. If you're down here for the week and you, you know, you, you did that for a couple of days, you will notice a difference. One ski will always be better than the other ski. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's just the way it is, you know. Um, and and then you just have to do a little it's easy to go and buy a car. They've all got four wheels and steering wheels. Some are more expensive, but they all drive on the road. It's a little bit different um, with mm. skiing. You know, like do you do you do you ride your your road bike, your road cycling bike, you know, through the gravel and um, and down a mountain bike course? No, you don't. So certain skis for certain conditions. Mm. And if you're a beginner skier, you'll have a beginner ski. Intermediates. They have a, a a ski that has a wide range that'll allow you to you know progress for the next, you know, four or five years of your of your skiing life. Mm-hmm. And then as you get a little bit more advanced, you go, okay, do I need a better ski? And you've had some lessons, your technique's improved. Um, but the best way to do it really is to jump on snow, um, take the ski for a run. And if you're fighting, I always say to people, if you if you start on your first few runs and you're fighting and you you keep saying, oh, the ski's not right, the ski's not right, well, then that's not the ski for you. So I'm going go and try a different brand, a different mm. model, um, you know, but you can't just turn up and buy one off the shelf and think that you're going to be skiing like, you yeah. know, a world racer. I didn't, you know what, I didn't know until I was just speaking to you then that ski shops did that. I didn't know they changed skis every day, like for you to go back and forth. Like, you could, if, if, if they know if they know you're going to buy a ski, um, yeah. so you're paying your demo price. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah, like if you're doing up on the mountain, I'm sure you could go to one of the shops and say, look, I want to buy a pair of skis. Can I take one out for the morning and take one out for the afternoon? Yeah. And um, and then the 
the price, you know, I'm not going to say every shop, I don't know everyone's details, but most of those shops would say, okay, there'll be a portion of that uh, demo price or the rental price that would come off a new ski. Yeah. So if you knew... They need to feed that through your magazine. <laughs> they need to... Well, they do. Yeah, look, we'd like to have more advertisers. We, you know, that's the way it works. But, um, look, everyone um, everyone has their own idea with advertising. Like, we, we reach, a, like, a really wide market, you know. It's, yeah. We're in a lot of the places and, you know, um, you know we have a huge readership. Um, it's, a, it's not an audited readership as a free magazine, but, you yeah. know, if we're printing 18,000 copies and they're, you know, the majority of those are going to, you know, snow-related, um, whether it's in Sydney in ski shops or, you know, down here in the mountains, you know, we're getting, you know, probably two and a half times the readership conservatively. So, yeah. you know, we're getting, you know, forty to 50,000 easy readership per edition in the winter. That's you know, there's a, lot, there's a lot of people down here and they pick it up everywhere from, you know, Threadbare Alpine Hotel, the Moots Hotel, Man from Snow River Hotel, you know, the lodges in Jindabyne, you know, um, the Banjo Patterson Inn. Yeah. Like, you know, it doesn't matter. You'll find it. You've absolutely got to be passionate because you are the man that's running the show. So how long have you been in the mountains for? Yeah, look, my first uh, winter in Australia was 1992 and yeah. I'd just come back from spending a couple of years in Whistler where I started out as a, a uh, aspiring ski photographer <laughs> with uh, a lot of ambition and uh, not a huge lot of uh, insight as to what was needed and I worked in a photo shop in Whistler there that was just starting out and did that for a couple of winters, um, stayed for the summer, had to travel around Canada and came back, um, worked at the Perisher Photo Shop, Good Times Photography. Good Times. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, that was 1992. Uh, had a bit of a dabble in the local media in the, in the early 90s as well. Yeah. Uh, was, I used to send photos to all the ski, ski magazines um, and then, there wasn't a lot of money in Australian snow photography. So you soon learned to write a travel story that would, you know, boost up your earnings. And then a, the travel editor might want to use uh, extra few photos and pay you another, you know, few cups of coffee for those because it wasn't a lot of money. So, yeah. and, and let's just say the money hasn't changed the snow photography rates that much, but a lot of the magazines have disappeared. You know, back in the day, in the 90s, you know yourself, Tanil, there would have been, you know, four different magazines and they would have probably each had four or five editions a year, yeah. whereas now, you know, there's um, Chill Factor is the main magazine, the paid magazine, and, um, you know, we've got our, our, our free magazine, um, you know, which covers a lot of the, a lot of the information for people. But, uh, yeah, so I've been here every winter since 1992. Um, from 1997 to 2006, I ran a photography business in Blue Cow called oh, yeah. Mountain, Mountain Mamas Photography. Yeah. It was right on the ski plat- platform, uh, ski tube platform next to the uh, Cappuccino Cafe. So yep. um, right on snow, easy to ha- walk around all day with your ski boots on. And as soon as one of your friends come by, would you like to have a couple of runs? You'd be straight out that door. So. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> perfect. There's not a lot, I've, I've got a lot of good times photos of me when I was a kid with my family at Charlotte Pass. <laughs> yeah. And even of my kids now, you know. It's still, even though you've got the iPhone, it's still a necessity to get someone to take your photo, I think, in the snow. It's still, it's, there's nothing like it. It's a photo that's up on the wall. <laughs> yeah, look, you know, the 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 iPhone and the, you know, the camera in Samsung phones, whatever phone you have, uh, you know, it was, it really was the demise of a lot of those photo businesses. I think in the, in the North America, you probably still have some in, in the, some of those resorts that are a little bit more, let's just say, exclusive um, yeah. um, and have a few more wealthy clients, you know. But in Australia now, it's pretty much done and dusted. And, um, you yeah. know, even 
even Randy Wyman at Hot Shots, he's retired now. Um, yeah. He's done it. He done it. He did that at Threadbow for about thirty years or so. Um, yeah. You know. Um, yeah, but like I said, times move on. But um, you know, it's still it's still nice to have a nice photo. And um, yeah. well, I'm glad, I'm glad we haven't moved on from Story Magazine to Story Mountain Magazine because you just need a magazine. There's nothing like it. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. so it's, it's quite. It's, and it's yeah, full of absolute amazing information. Like not. I, I, I'm going to get it now online in summer, which I which is really exciting, you know. So because <laughs> I'm not down there in summer, I wish I was, but you know, I can learn more about my beautiful environment that I love down there and what's coming through and how to work it a bit better for future kind and, of. And you know what? For for some of the people who just come down here in the winter, um, you know, I, I did it for years. You know, I'd come down in the winter, do the winter season. I'd go back to Sydney or travel overseas and you know for work or whatever. Um, but once you've once you've lived down here year round for a while, um, you know you really appreciate the summers. It has it has a lot to offer if you like the outdoors. You know, um, yeah. Jindabyne's the you know its tagline is the Alpine Playground of Australia. You know, or, or Australia's Alpine Playground, one of the two. Um, but uh, you know, like you can climb to Australia's highest peak, Mount Kosciuszko. The you know there's lakes and hiking trails, mountain biking. Um, you know, it caters a lot for for someone who has uh, you know, a little bit of an inclination to explore, you know, and there's always something new going on. New trails have been built and, and, and it's, you know, and it's, and it's not just Jindabyne and Threadbow and Perisher, you know, you can go across the other side, the western side of the mountains, you know, Cancoban is really a hidden secret. If you've yeah. never been to Cancoban, go there in the summer and spend a couple of days, you know, it's, it's a quiet little place. Um, you know, Tumbarumba, there's, you know, there's places, sites to see, wineries, you know, um, it, it's it's great. You know, Batlow. If you like apples, go to Batlow, and you like cherries, go to Batlow. Um, yeah. And Tumba, you know, and everywhere you go, it's it's all part of the Snowy Mountains. Uh, sorry, the Snowy Hydro um, yeah. Snowy Scheme. Yep. And uh, you know, it's everywhere. It from a river to a dam, and it's all interlinked. And you know, that was a fascinating story of Australia um, and their en- engineering history. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. And you can find all the details there if you're really interested in anything to do with the Snowy Scheme. Go to the Discovery Centre at Cooma. That's that's a great place. Oh, yeah. We're, we're um, giving serious consideration to moving down to Jindy in a couple of years. Our kids are kind of heading into those HSC years. Um, so maybe when the my younger son finishes in a couple of years. But one of the draw cards for me is I feel like every time I go to the snow, I'm kind of, you know, rushing to have a snow day. and I'm always looking at all the walks you can do and everything. And I have been down there a few times in summer, but I'm that typical explorer mentality person too. And I just would love to just spend so much more time and even, you know, driving into Victoria and all that, just shifting the centre of my focus to, to being like a whole other part of Australia that you can explore the coastline from there. Yeah. yeah, and look, the, yeah, the coastline's not too far away. It's, um, you know, it's two, two, two and a half to three hours from here to Marimbula on the south coast. And, and and when you're talking there about when you're here for the snow, mm. people have people have their their blinkers on at the snow. They doesn't matter where you're coming from. You have one destination, and that's to go to the snow. Mm-hmm. And you're not interested in anything, you know, in between because you've paid for your lift ticket, you've got your season's pass. You want to get value out of that. I totally understand that. Yeah. But the crowd who come in the summer, they're not as they're not in a in a rush. They're usually a little bit more relaxed. Um, it doesn't matter whether it takes them one day to go somewhere or two. Um, and you and you do you get to stop and see you know everything and 
you know, you go to places like Lake Crackenback Resort right on the Threadbow River. You could spend a, a weekend there and not not leave there. Not you know, they've got they've got mountain bikes and you can you can walk up and down their their trails and just relax, you know, is and there's there's so many places to see. Like, you know, I'm I'm obviously, you know, always interested to get out myself and there's many places here I haven't been to and mm-hmm. it's just endless. Like, you know, there's hikes to waterfalls and yeah, yeah. it's great. How's the change of the guard with Belinda Trembath? Um, leading Perisher after Peter was there for years and years and years. Do you think she'll bring in some summer trade? Yeah, look, I, I don't know about the summer trade, um, but Belinda is, uh, you know, she's come from Mount Hotham and we've got that story in our in our current edition. Yeah. Um, okay. and look, so so Belinda's been, a, you know, she was a general manager at Mount Hotham, I think, for 15 or 16 years as well, so a long time. Um, and the way it worked in the Vale Resorts, Hierarchy, you know, Pete Brulesau had been there 16 years at Perisher. He was also overseeing uh, all three resorts. So he was like the Vale Resorts Australia boss. Um, but he's moved on to Hamilton Island. Um, his family had been associated, you know, in Perisher Valley um, from his mum and dad back into the 60s, yeah. you know. But, but like, from all accounts, chatting to the Perisher staff, and I won't name names because they're not allowed to talk to the media um, without having permission sometimes. But, look, Belinda's a really nice person. Um, you know, she's a really good operator. Um, and, and she'll come in there with a fresh set of eyes and and yeah, go, yeah. you know, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? Um, yeah. You know, and who, who knows what changes there will be. But from previous interviews with Pete, Pete Brulesau when he was there, um, I don't know whether Vale Resorts have the appetite to create a summer business there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you look at Threadbow, Threadbow have everything going for them at the moment in summer, yeah. but it didn't it didn't happen yesterday. They've been chipping away at that for 30 years or Three maybe years. more, you know, mm-hmm. and um, their mountain biking is really strong now in Threadbow. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you ride the Kosciuszko chair and ski the super trail in winter, and then you bring your mountain bike back and ride down, you know, all around that trail and put your mountain bike back up on the Kosciuszko chair and go back to the top again. You know, yeah. they've seen they've seen huge growth in that. Yeah, I, I was at um, part of my sort of copywriting um, history nine years ago. I started writing um, articles, four articles a month for like the Lantern Apartment Group. And that was part of that was just bringing that whole like shining light into all the things you can do 365 days a year. And and that was when all the mountain bike trails were opening up. And, you know, it was, it was really exciting to be part of that, to see what it see what it has emerged now. You know, obviously not not thanks to me, but it was nice to be a part of it as it's kind of transformed. Yeah, yeah I, they've had huge growth there. Like when they first started, the first couple of years, and it's been well documented. They've said it. You know, um, you know, they have this big cannonball cannonball festival, which is uh, yeah, the first year I think they had you know 150 people. They get over a thousand people now. Uh, it's a four day festival just on wow. mountain biking. All the best riders. It's huge. Yeah, but you go there on any given Saturday. Um, and it's not it's not all your twenty year olds and your kids. There's mm-hmm. people, uh, you know, my age in the fifties, and people in their sixties, people in their forties, riding mountain bikes up and down that lift. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, gra- they call it gravity fed mountain biking because you know it's all downhill once once you get to the top. But yeah. you know, their, their growth on growth every year. Um, you know, if you if you if it was like a share market graph, it would just be going straight up. You yeah. know, it's just gone. It's just gone vertical on the graph. Um, you know, over over the last six or seven years. Do, have they opened up the gondola for that at Threadbow? For or is yes. that your destination for lunch at the shop? No, no. In in uh, in in summer now they have the Kosciuszko chair running. 
the gun barrel chair running for mountain biking. And then they have the gondola on, I think it's three days a week, uh, maybe Friday to Sunday. But the gondola runs all the time for the foot passengers. Um, And this summer coming, uh, they've got all the approvals in place. They will now run the cruiser chair for, uh, um, I suppose you class it as a a low-end gravity introduction to um, you know, riding the lift with your with your mountain bike. Wow! And yeah. and and the the model the model they have is if you look at Threadbow in the winter, you've got Friday flat where you do your beginners, then you go to the cruiser area, your intermediate, and then you go over to the Kosciuszko chair where you you've got your more advanced skiers, mm-hmm. and that's the same model there. They've got the approach with uh, mountain biking mm-hmm. that uh, you know you learn in in this case it'll be you know you obviously everyone you need to be able to ride a bike, but so you could go up into the cruiser area and there'll be some nice gentle trails for you to to practice on. You, you might do that for, you know, a couple of weeks or a few days, depending on your ability. And then you might take the, you know, the easier trail. Um, you know, it's still a it's still an all-downhill trail and you've got to, you know, go around bends and over bumps and whatever. But, you know, down to from the gondola down to Friday flat and then, you, you know, as you progress, you move over and, do the flow trail underneath the cosy chair. So it's a really good sense. business model. Makes yeah. sense. The same terrain in summer and some winter for your progression, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if you look around the world, though, you'll see that, you know, if you go to, you know, Whistler's a big resort, international resort, huge yeah. mountain biking. Everywhere's got mountain biking now in the summer. And, you know, they've really opened up there. You know, Deer Valley, I followed Deer Valley and Park City on, you know, on, on social media. They've got stuff yeah. going on there. So, yeah. yeah. It is exciting. I, well, I live in Sun Peaks in winter every year in, like, our summer. I'll be back anyway, excited. Um, yeah, they, they've just developed massive, massive new courses down their hill and it's quite exciting for all of them. There, It's just it's just growing leaps and bounds. It's becoming quite quite the village. <laughs> and, and you know what? It, it's a really good market. Like, if you're looking at, you know, like, yeah, we've sort of diverged away from just the perisher side of some. We'll come back to that, but but if, but if you look at, I've been to Sun Peaks. It's a great resort. You know, I love it, and I, it always reminds me a little bit about Threadbow that it's you know a little bit easier on the bottom and a little bit more technical at the top. Yeah. Um, but you know what? You you've got um, you're opening up it to a new market. You might get the mountain bike market to come in, and and then they go, oh, maybe we should come back and try snow. You know, so it's, it's really good, but. But going back to the perisher side of it, yeah, look, I don't think Bale Resorts immediately have any appetite to um, to do anything in the summer. That may well change, but Pete Brulesau, the former, uh, you know, boss of Perisher, yep. um, he indicated several times that that it probably wasn't there on their radar. That was a few few years ago. but um, Hopefully it is because, I mean, with the amount of people getting there, Threadbug will just get smashed in summer. I mean, everyone is growing up and becoming aware of the Snowy Mountains area, you, you know, yeah. like because we're five-hour drive is not a big drive for anyone anymore, I yeah. don't think, whereas back in the day it used to be, oh, my gosh, that's too far. Why would you drive to Perisher for the weekend? Now everyone just drives to. Yeah. Well, at Perisher at the bottom of air, that um, cafe's open all year round, though, isn't it, apart from Boxing yeah. Day? Yeah, no, look, it is. The, the air tea bar, um, Steve had it there at the. The Air Kiosk, I think, is the official name. Yeah, he's open a lot of the time during the summer, uh, more so around those, yeah, those busy times when he, I think he's got his market well and truly sorted now. He knows if it's going to be a busy day for people going up to the Charlotte Pass lookout. Yeah. And uh, and, he, and you get a lot of people who just drive up there for a look around. You know, they'll stop it. They may stop down in Charlotte Pass Village. Um, and if they're coming back, uh, 
you know, they'll have a, a wander around, um, you know, Perisher just for a look. But there's still places you can there's still places you can ride your, your mountain bike there. You know, in summer, it's just yeah, there's no true. there's just no lifts running. So it's all it's not it's not the and, easy. Yeah, and <laughs> and the, and and for the people who may not be aware, you know, in in summertime in Perisher, you know, virtually every lodge closes um, for most of the summer. Oh, sorry, all of the summer, and there's a few that might open on for special occasions, but it's not necessarily accommodation. Some of the club lodges might do that, but uh, the commercial lodges wouldn't. It's really hard to, and this comes back to, you know, even having mountain biking or thing up in, up in Perisher, you know, um, it's really hard to have staff for, for just the busy period, four or six weeks. You know, what do they do for the rest of the time? So, you know, you need, you've got to heat the lodge, even though it's summer, you know, the lodges are still cold. Um, then you need chefs and then you need, yeah, you know, um, you need a lot of different staff. So that's the reason uh, why a lot of them shut in, in summer. And the ones that do open, they might just open the bar and they're, and they're people who are owners of the lodges. You know, the yeah, Iger, yeah, the Iger Chalet opens up sometimes just the bar um, yeah. on certain times over the busy Christmas, January period, Easter, they open up, you know, but it's not for accommodation because there's, there's a few too many logistics to, um, you know, yeah, to run the lodge with staff and house cleaning and all the rest. Well, at the end of the day, it's in an alpine environment, isn't it? And it has been known to snow in January, in April, and in, at any random time. It's because you are in that environment. So, <laughs> on that note, I do remember. Uh, oh, this is going back a lot of years ago, but I did go on. Um, it was Christmas Day, and it, and it snowed up in um, in, in the mountains, and. There was a, actually it might have been the day Christmas Eve, and um, yeah, there was a photo on the there was a photo on the Daily Telegraph around Christmas time anyway that had 20, 25 centimeters of of snow, and it was uh, yeah, bad luck if you came up to to go for a hike that time and there's 20, 20 centimeters of snow on all the trails. <laughs> You've come up with your summer summer swimmers. <laughs> oh boy! I love I do love the mountains. I'm glad that I'm glad that you serviced the story, the magazine's there to service the mountains because it is full of really useful information for everyone. And you learn a lot from your magazine about the actual where where we are in the environment as well. So thank you for that to, to keep it going. It's really great. My favorite part is actually the little graph that shows all the the snow levels and the and the highest one is uh 1981, isn't it? And yes, it is. That look, the snow depth chart. It's um, it's just a page that has all the the previous uh, you know forty years. Um, someone who I don't know was just someone on social media earlier this year, um, earlier this winter, said it'd be a shame that nineteen eighty one is about to fall off the graph because if <laughs> we go to the next year, it'll fall off. But they said, why don't we keep nineteen eighty one on there and let the nineteen eighty two drop off? So we may well do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, do that. <laughs> but but if you put that magazine down anywhere and you watch what people gravitate to, they will all the the, the snow people anyway. They they will always look and they'll reminisce about. Do you remember that year? This was a great year. I remember skiing that year in August. And I think I put that as um one of our posts for our social media. I just did a snapshot of the graph for 1981, and I and I said, "What does this mean?" or something, and it was funny. Well, we all no, hope again. We all hope 1981 is coming again at some stage. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. Our, our last question we asked all our guests, and you know what this is, Steve, if you've been listening to some of our episodes. What is your favourite resort to ski at in the world and Australia? 
Oh, gee, that is a tough question, and I'm sure people have struggled with that one before. Look, I, I, I lived in Whistler for a couple of years. Um, they have sensational terrain there. So international-wise, you know, be hard-pressed to go past somewhere like that. Um, Australia, look, I don't really have a favourite in Australia, to be honest. I've, I've worked at both resorts. I lived in Threadbow for a while. Um, if it's the best day of the season, probably Threadbow. But if it's, uh, you know, um, average conditions, Perisher has a lot for you. Mm. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, Agreed. Yeah, it's. I know. I've. I, I often say I've had my best day at Threadbow and my worst day at Threadbow. <laughs> and look, I. I, I all those the- years. All those worked. All those years, I worked at Perisher. Um, sorry, Blue Cow. When I had the the photo photo business up there, you know, uh, you can't beat the ridge chair. And I had my favourite line down there. I knew every rock and I knew where to turn. And someone, you know, people are still ten or eleven o'clock. They go. Oh, they still haven't made that two turns through that little gap and. You knew you knew where to go, and uh, from the top of the rock garden down into Yarrandu, that's probably the best run at Perisher, I'd say. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, you just summed it up for me, Australia skiing, Australia. Oh, someone hasn't made two turns in between those two rocks. <laughs> it's mine. <laughs> well, when it, when the mountains tracked out, you're looking for anything fresh, aren't you? It's yeah, true. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time, Steve. It's really amazing. We, yeah, you've got a lot of knowledge in there of lots of years in the snow. I'm glad you're sharing it through magazine format. I'm an old school person that loves a magazine format. So I'll, I'll be I'll be I'll be looking for your eyes. Uh, I do my ski research for my uh, outback out, backcountry skis that I will eventually buy. Yeah, no, look, uh, good luck to that. And, yeah, look, plenty more info- information on the website, Snowy Mountain. Snow- <laughs> plenty, plenty of information on the website, snowymagazine.com.au. Thanks, girls. Thank you. <laughs> See ya. Thanks for listening to Loving the Snow Life with Emma and Tennille. If you've learned a handy tip or two, then happy days. To catch all our episodes, subscribe on iTunes. It's free. Head over to www.lovingthesnowlife.com.au for more info and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Loving the Snow Life. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, then email us on our website. Thanks to everyone who leaves a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to share our episodes on your social media.